Hey guys and gals, welcome to Dude Check This Out, a music podcast by Hambone Relay, the organ trio from Philadelphia, and well, kind of all over the U.S., but we'll get to that. Um, today's guest, you may have seen on stage with us a couple times, but here's a quick introduction in case you haven't met him. He was born on the Asbury Park circuit, dedicating his life to original music influenced by Jimi Hendrix, Cream, Brothers Johnson, and James Brown. James motherfucking Brown which we should absolutely get to talking to. He is open for national touring acts such as Jeff Healy, Lost Lonely Boys, J.D. Simo, the J.D. Simo, Quiz Duarte, and blues legend Philip Sace. Please welcome guitarist James Pace of the James Pace Band. What's up, buddy? Thanks, man. That was, very, that was a heck of an intro. Blowing away. Well, Thank yeah, you. now you got to live up to it. Is that cool? Can you uh, make that, that work? pretty good, man. That's a lot of research <laughs> right there. Right. This is why, no, James, a, this is why uh, Rob gets paid the big bucks, man. Seriously. Here, I'll send you my Venmo, uh, Mark Brown. I'm waiting for those big bucks still. Can we make that happen? Yeah, dude. Someday. Mark it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, James, how you holding up? Where are you right now? Where are you uh, stationed at, living at? Uh, this is my actually my home office. Are you still in uh, New Jersey? No. Actually, I'm in uh, an undisclosed state that's uh, not New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's blasphemous. Coast, uh, I do miss, I'm not going to lie, I do miss the Asbury Park scene. I haven't lived there in a long time. But, um, my gosh, what a good place it is now. I mean, back when we were playing, it wasn't really a quarter of what it is today. But, my God. So, my my family's back in that direction, though. And they're all, my mom lives, actually, in Asbury Park. We've got to be, you know, chase her down. You can't find her. She, you, you try <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's still there I mean I've heard some legendary stories about Asbury Park uh, and the music venues that are there in particular like you know the Stone Pony I've played there once or twice myself um, what are some venues you played there as a kid when you were growing up in Asbury um, you know there was a change of a lot of things there was a really cool little place it was right on Main Street called T-Burst Cafe it was not there long. Um, the guy who ran it also booked um, the fast lane, which is now um, what do they call that? The was it the bowl? Something bowl? Asbury Lanes. Sorry, Asbury Lanes. They yeah, ripped down fast lane, became Asbury Lanes. But T. Anyway, so T. Birds is this really cool, like little dive bar, you know, on Main Street, and you know anybody could go. And this is back in the day, I guess, right? 90 something. And um, that was the that was a cool spot because it was just like grungy. We'd go in there and it was funky and we played there. Jeff um, Buckley was famous for playing there. And then passed like right maybe within a year after that. It was really, really crazy time. Uh, it was like the place was buzzing and Jeff Buckley comes in. It's like, you know, and the place holds like 50 people. And, uh, and then he passed. It was really you know, kind of a bummer. But we played the fast lane, which is down the road from there. The Saint a lot. Uh, actually, we played the second night the Saint Open. Uh, oh, really? Um, yeah. I'll, we played there a lot until um, I moved. Then we played the Stone Pony where house band on Sundays. Like, we do that like, matinee. Like, there'd be, like, three drunk guys coming off the beach and... <laughs> You know, we would be like playing originals that no one cared about. <laughs> and then one guy come in, he'd be like, dude, you should get a record deal, man. And we were like, yes, we should. You know? And that guy would keep you going for the rest we'll, of the set, right? <laughs> we never will, you know. And it was just, it was great. It was like, you know, and then we really sold a lot of tickets. Like that was, I still do that to this day. I have the same business model, which is this. If you are, a, you know, an owner of a venue, and you have a national act coming through and you need the last 25% of your tickets sold, call me, right? And that's what we did. We basically would have a guarantee that we would do that 25% and then we always did a little bit more. It's totally a business deal and we, you know, we made it work. So we always got pretty good opening slots. I mean, we played with 
King's X a few times. We've opened for live, if you can imagine, in the 90s. This is before James Pace Band. It's not a band, but um, just a great place to kind of grow, grow your uh, musical repertoire. But, you know, uh, different times, but great. It was a lot of fun, man. I could talk for an hour and a half about that time. I mean, we love it. Uh, we've played, um, Hambone really has played uh, uh, the Asbury, Asbury Hotel. Hotel. Uh, they played it yeah. twice. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a cool little spot because like, people walk in, it's a legit hotel, and they, they just see the stage and they're like, oh, there's live music? I, I guess I'll hang out. And like they'll get drinks, they'll go back up to the room, come back down. It's a whole thing. But Asbury Lanes is also pretty cool. I wish I could have saw it before it became uh, that namesake. Apparently they knocked it down, the original place. So I was just, you know, you'd sit up at night sometimes. I started Googling it, and in 2010, I think they knocked it down, the fast lane. But I had no idea. But that was, like, where Bruce actually started to play before it became famous for being at Stone Pony. Mm -hmm. And then John Bon Jovi played there a bunch of times, obviously, in uh, Southside Johnny, like, oh, the, you know, the whole history there. Um, but that was apparently the place they started before they went into like the Stone Pony that made that story famous and you know, the rest is history. But the town itself went from like my, so this is what's really crazy. My mom, you ask her about Asbury Park, she said, oh, it's wonderful. It's the greatest thing ever. You know, it was the boardwalk in the fifties, right? That's in her mind. Right. When I was there in the nineties and the eighties, you had crack houses everywhere. When you got your amp after the gig, you'd sprint to your car. You'd be scared. You're going to get mugged. It was like, it was outrageous. It was really not a good, it was seedy. It was really a bad place to actually be. So, you know, we're 18, 19, 20, 21. We're driving around like, you know, we own the town. It's pretty dangerous. Um, but now, man, it's like you can't touch real estate. Though. It's like. No, there's definitely a boom anywhere on the East Coast, oh. especially those shore towns. Asbury Park has a whole new life that has been uh, reinvigorated there. Um, but no, I, I love it, man. Speaking of the Saint, uh, I forgot the, I forgot about the Saint. Did uh, did it come with all the uh, stickers and crap on the walls when it opened up, or was it actually pretty clean? Because nowadays it's like, it's just like band stickers all over the place and like posters. And was it relatively clean when it first opened up? That's what I'm curious about. Yeah, so Scott Stamper opened that bar up in 94. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. Maybe 92. I don't remember. Damn, I'm getting old. And uh, Scott still, you know, he still has a handshake in it. Um, but anyway, that didn't have the stickers. And all I remember in the first few gigs is two things. I couldn't draw there in the first, you know, first week it opened. We we're like trying so hard, you know, get all your friends to go. And the floor was really loud. It was like when there's no one there, you go, the floor was like, <laughs> you know mm -hmm. so i'm coming in with like i got this like martial amp I'm like, and it's like boing and i'm like whoa this is gonna piss the bartender off it's not good. <laughs> you know that was fun man i mean but we built you have to that room you had to work i mean scott was great he made you work for it pete mantis was actually booking there pete books the langosta now um but that's a great yeah, thing to have a venue room. back no you stickers up like that. though back then man. no stickers yeah, i was curious <laughs> No, but I mean, it, it's great to have a venue like that to support small artists that, you know, at that time, you know, that would, hey, come back. You need to draw this much for, you know, to come work with us again. It's it's good to have that, like, that backing, you know? Yeah, you got to hey. work, right? A lot of, he, he had a bunch of good good players go through there. I mean, over the years, they'll they'll say somebody's name and they'll go, wow, I forgot that Dave Matthews played there or, mm -hmm. you know, Kenny Wayne Shepard or whoever, you know, it's like, it's pretty interesting. Hey, hey I heard. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. I was gonna say, is uh, you said Scott still booking? Is he still booking the room, or is does he do something with it? Because he booked us there, I think. Like, I think when or however Meg, long ago it was. I think Meg books it now, but Scott used to do it up until like a year or two ago. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know what year it is, man. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it's, Twenty. It's um, just a bunch of numbers, dude. <laughs> it's you know what? No, it's it's uh. Uh, it's going to be like one BC, but one after coronavirus. So one ACV. Yeah. Like 2020. I love it. That's good. It's, yeah. We're, we're restarting. Over. Reset. Reset yeah. button. Hit the reset. <laughs> 
one ACV. I like it. Oh, man. Um, pro, use Pro Tools on this year, right? <laughs> hey, I heard I heard uh, from a little birdie that you're uh, recording out in LA you know, over the over the past year. Is that is that happening? I was with that guy there on the other side of your picture. Yeah, man. He's my birdie. <laughs> yeah. We were uh, we were out twice. Um, yeah, so much to say about that. Let me just give you the bullet points. We we did. We went out. Mark actually, Mark and I. Uh, I met you out there, and we cut. I think we cut five. Maybe you played on four mark or so, but we cut about five or six. I think I threw one out actually. And, you know, over the last two years, just been chipping away at it. In fact, to be honest with you, Mark, today, literally as we sit here, I think I gave the final approval on the second song that we cut that day. Mm. Like, (laughs) like try to mix, try to mix with with this pandemic. It's like, he sends me a file and I'm like, all right, I guess I'll comment on it and send it back before I'd sit in a room and go, no, the bass is a little loud, bring the vocal down. This is, can you clear that? You know, it takes two minutes. Now it takes two weeks to do three things. Cause he's got to mail it to me. And you know, it's like, yeah. when do I find time to sit down and listen to it? The right headphones on. And so it's, yeah, man, but we're still chipping away. I'm trying to figure out when to release something. I mean, if you guys have any advice on that, that, It'd be worth a billion dollars because I have no <laughs> clue what to do with it, you know. I'm laughing because we talk about this all the time. It's like, do we release a record? Do we really re- release a single? What are we doing? Uh, what does everybody want? We have no idea. <laughs> does, does anybody care? I, I mean, Johnny and I, my, my partner, the guy played bass on an album too. He goes, dude, does it matter? I'm like, does anything matter? <laughs> like, 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 you know, like, I don't know. Maybe like well, the next Guns N' Roses album matters, but does mine no one gives a shit like it's it's very awkward it's almost like you we're in this weird vortex of time because you're not playing so you're trying to figure out like where to place your your art where you just place your your next podcast like where is there a resonance that's gonna work for somebody you know right my first it's tricky as you know as you guys are doing that my first instinct is, you know, people with attention spans and, you know, Netflix is, you're basically competing with Netflix and all the streamings of shows because no one's traveling listening to music. You know, one one thing at a time just to, to keep people talking about you might help, you know, in terms of like a song a month or a song every two months. But it's got to be promoted right, right? To Same the right people. Story. Yeah. Yeah. It's like tree falling in the woods. Like you can have a great, great thing. And if no one hears it or sees it, so yeah, we're we're all we're all interested in the same game. I actually, Mark and I had Mark. I think a while back, it's a deep conversation about, you know, what will happen after this. Like, will we change? You know, will how we market ourselves change, and all this stuff. And I think one thing I came to realize was, it's not so much how I, what I do and what I release has changed, but my attitude is completely changed and here's what i think i did i flipped this completely every time i and i stopped posting because of this every time i think about posting something about my band or whatever i don't think about like what is it going to represent of me i think about like how is it going to impact somebody on the other side of the screen are they going to think like oh he's just worried about himself or is this actually of service to me is this of value to me meaning that person on the other side and i I said, you know, if I can live my life in service of others, as opposed to like putting my ego in front of this thing to represent something, wouldn't that be a better way to live and to live happy, right? And I turned that corner somewhere like six months ago. And ever since then, like I've really paused before I do anything. And I'm like, is this in service to others? Because every time I do something that's in service to others, I'm happier. For some reason, it just works for me, right? So it's changed how I think about releasing music. It's changed how I think about maybe throwing a post to be playing guitar or something, you know, like, and I, now I look at others differently. I'm like, this guy posts every day of him playing guitar 100 miles an hour. Does that really add value to somebody's life? Or is that something that you just want to do to feel better about yourself, right? So I really think through that. The pandemic has changed my approach on how I release things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to, you know, to release content, I man, what do we do with content? So, well, go ahead, Mark. No, I, no, I was just agreeing. I, are you, are you planning on, James, are you planning on doing like, 
what would you do to promote? Because you would talk about doing like a full full record, right? Like releasing yeah. a full. Like, how would you promote that? What 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 are you thinking? Like so, like a. Because you can't tour or play shows to promote the record, right? So. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna bullshit you. I'll be totally honest with you. I don't know. I really don't. Yeah. I don't. I I feel like. I was listening to this track today. Peggy's singing. Peggy was from Bob Dylan's band. She's like just singing like a total soul singer. And then we've got the guitar going at like a kind of a really heavy rate, you know, that sort of funky thing. And I'm listening to it and I'm going, I don't know if there's any real copycat thing going on with this. So it's either going to be interesting or it's going to be you know, not interesting to people. And I don't think it matters if you just do what you do. But I don't know if there's really a specific way to promote something now, right? It's more, I think you just have to, you know, do what you feel satisfies you, but is a product of something that's going to complement somebody else's mood or whatever it may be. So I don't have a strategy at all right now. I have people who want to help me, which is great, but I don't have a strategy that I'm comfortable with, you know? It's probably a boring answer, but it's a truth. <laughs> well, it's not. It's actually very interesting because I one thing that I've been learning a lot, researching, uh, promoting, and stuff for Hambone and both myself and some other projects, is people like two things. They respond to two things. One, like you said, that's in service to them. There's like information, something for them to use, and that's that's why a lot of if you go on TikTok, there's a lot of videos of people going like things you need in the studio one two three four and they'll do like videos like that and the second thing is like entertainment if something is super entertaining it'll resonate with people like uh, what's a good example uh, do you know who Corey Wong is by chance he's a funk he's a he's a funk guitar player plays with Wolfpack he's been releasing a thing once a week kind of like a, a Johnny Carson style thing where he interviews somebody about a specific topic but he also plays a new single off his new record and it's in it's kind of in conjunction with itself but there's also like little skits you know in that way you're entertaining you're being informative he's doing both you know he created his own little youtube show um and you gotta i think that's how it works you know speaking to what you're talking about that guitar player playing a million miles a, a million notes a minute you know that's entertaining to guitar players but that pool is super small right and so if you can make you know your music like blues music like entertaining to a bigger mass maybe don't think like that but if it's entertaining it'll i think it'll resonate with more folks it focus on being entertaining which is what you said uh being in service of others yeah as long as it's yeah as long as it's something like you said entertaining i mean there are times when like i'll play something and i'll record it it's not the best video maybe but the tone coming from the amp is really something unique that day it worked or whatever and like you know you've got that whole crowd that's like would find value in that you go all right that's a good little 30 or not even i, I think i don't think i'd do it any more than eight seconds that's a good little clip of eight seconds somebody might hear and be inspired by mm. but i'm not going to put on for 20 seconds 20 minutes it just it sort of feels like we're all in this this is the sort of the thing is like i don't want us to feel like we're in a sprint to win like there's no winning here you know um we're in a sprint to survive and to <laughs> to be happy you know you know so i love what you guys are doing mark and you know from having spoken with you and your in your move and what you've accomplished and like you know i mean it probably doesn't seem that fast to you but like from when i talked to you over the course of say three months like you've come such a long way and robin your recovery and what you guys are doing together as a band i mean these are all like big milestones. It may not be like a thousand votes on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever, but it's, these are remarkable moments and, you know, just being, you know, proud of you guys for that. I mean, 
you know, as a friend, you know, just want to say that out loud. Thanks, man. I, I think, I think, if anything, like I think the coronavirus and the situation and everything has kind of changed the way we we look at releasing music and re- and promoting things. And I think gone are the days. Like there are still people posting, like you said, like someone just shredding for thirty seconds or whatever. But like. I don't see that as much anymore. I see more people trying to get, trying to be creative and trying to do things like what Corey Wong is doing. It's not just right. Him. He could just he could just do a video of him playing, and like guitar players would geek out and love it. But like, it's more than that. You know, it's like a skit, w- right. or an interview, or like like we we, we do that we do this podcast which which we enjoy doing and we talk to other artists and find out what, th- what they're into rather than just like a video of us like shredding you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you could do yeah. that <laughs> you could <laughs> it, it, it goes paradiddle, to a certain Rob, paradiddles come on nah even I get I'm bored of watching that crap you know what it is Mark mentioned it in, in the beginning of the coronavirus people were doing that I think people burned out I think yeah. I think everyone got tired of I can't look at that again yeah paradiddles especially <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, again, it all comes back to, are you entertaining? Are you informative? You mentioned that eight-second video thing. I think that's super awesome. If you list everything you're doing to get that tone, people will care. That's super informative and entertaining if it's grooving. Well, it's I was using Eric Johnson's amplifier, so that helps. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) If you posted just that, like... Oh, this is Eric Johnson. Oh, you know, you know who has been doing really well at this. Do you know um Nick Perry? Yeah. Of uh, Nick Perry and the Underground Thieves, he's been crushing it, doing something kind of similar where he'll show like a cool guitar he's working with. It's like a '67 something or other, and he's working it through this amp, and people like it. You know, I think that's one way that you know musicians can kind of find entertainment through information. Yeah. No, it's just definitely a lot of a lot of creativity has to go into being creative anymore, right? Yeah. yeah, and you got to be creative in so many different outlets because now we're expected to do it all ourselves. Yeah, well, it's also too you miss you do. It's funny you were you were uh, you had asked me to do this. I did a uh, oh well anyway for my company. I did this thing where I interviewed somebody and I I got I put on my I call my rock and roll clothes. So I go out in my closet and I'm putting them on and I'm like I felt like I was going to a gig and I was like I missed this you know like <laughs> like. I kind of miss the putting on pants that don't fit me anymore. You know, I was like, damn. <laughs> Squeezing in just like these leather yeah. pants and stuff. Bending over, putting a cord in the pedal and going, oh, shit, my pants. No, I'm kidding. But, yeah, what are your gigs like? Things, you know? just, like, Mark, remember? That, that one tube went out. And you had that tube was working for 10 years and it goes out that day in the gig. You know? Uh, like, I know. <laughs> what? I, I do, miss those things. I do miss. I do miss carrying my shit through a snowstorm to make fifty bucks with a, with a you know like a wedding band or a cover band or whatever. You know what I mean? I miss that shit, man. You yeah, know that's all right. We lost. James doesn't miss it. <laughs> Rob's like, I don't miss it. Okay. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, all right, maybe it, maybe I don't miss making fifty bucks in a snowstorm. I don't miss that, but seventy-five. 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 That'll make that'll make the bank. That'll do it. Hey, back to music though. Um, I know that you, you were recording out in LA. Uh, how in the hell did the Michael Leisure hookup happen? He's producing your record, right? He's not producing it, but he was quintessential to this entire thing. Um, so what happened was actually, I was in California and I went to see Philip Sace play. Philip used to play Okay, wow, this is aging me again. In 1999, I opened up for Jeff Healy at Tradewinds in Seabright, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. The guy playing rhythm guitar in his band was Philip Sace. Philip was 20, I think. And this guy, he just looked cool as hell. He had like, you know, back then it was like, he he had like bell bottoms on. He was just long hair. And he had a Fender, he had a big Fender amp. And he ripped. I mean, it was like, I couldn't even get past him to look at Jeff. And I was like, this is guy's crazy. He was so good. And I, you know, he saw our set and I, we were like sort of moving the amps and he was so polite and he was very nice. He's like, you're great. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then we started to talk very briefly. 
shook hands, moved on. And then I was fixated on Jeff because Jeff's Jeff, right? And then somewhere about five years later, my friend asked me, where, where did that guy go who played with Jeff Healy? And I said, I have no idea. Pre-internet. Internet comes out, Google pops up, and I'm like <laughs> sitting in bed one night. I'm like, I remember this guy's name because he was so good. Type it into Google, and his whole profile comes up. For years, he's been playing. He's got albums, and he's great. So I go out to LA, and I go to see him at the Baked Potato in uh, Studio City, right where you are, Mike, right now. Mm -hmm. And um, sure enough, he's killing it. I go up to him like, dude, remember me? And he goes, oh my God, yeah, we played together at, at the beach. And I was like, I don't know how he remembered that, but whatever. <laughs> so his drummer comes up to me and he introduces Michael to me. And it was Michael Leisure. And um, Michael just kind of looked at me and he goes, yeah, you played with Philip. That's great. He loves you. He goes, if you ever need anything, let me know. That's all he said. And I was like, dude, I'll tell you, I have all this material. I got to cut a record. It's ready to pour out of me. I could use a drummer and you're great. So he's like, okay, I got a studio, I got a bass player and I play drums. He goes, the only thing you need is an organ if you have it. I'm like, bing, I know a guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> so literally, I don't, even, I don't even think I had the songs written. I had them all sort of floating around on an iPhone. And um, so I started like sending him like YouTube videos of the exact song bars and he's, his friend, who was the bass player, was Johnny Grappara from Slash's Snake Pit, who played with him with Walter Trout, still in Walter Trout's band. And I just started mailing him files. And I wrote the songs over about maybe a month and a half. And I kept going back to LA. And every time I go back, I'd sort of see him. And we hang out and just sort of hang, you know. And then sure enough, he just, he knew this. He had a studio, had a producer, he had everything, or engineer. And we showed up in Sierra Madre on like June 6th, 2019. And we just cut six tracks. Mark was there. Mark went out with me. And that's how I met him through Philip Sace. So it was sort of like this serendipitous thing and just being in a good place with positive energy and not, you know, being, being open, you know, to, to the energy. And he just presented it, you know, it was like, it was beautiful actually. And that started everything from where we were with the music today to where I am with the company of Johnny now. And it's just kind of paved the way and a path for us, you know? So that's where I met him. I'll tell you what, too. I was just going to say real quick, Rob. Uh, so I, you know, I was in that session and Michael and Johnny are two of the nicest dudes in the world. They're super awesome. They're great players. Like Johnny, Johnny, his bass playing is so tasteful and same with Michael. And they're also like the sweetest dudes in the world. Like it was so much, it was such a pleasure working with them too. You know, um, I, I like Michael's playing a lot. Um, and I didn't know who he was, uh, before Mark mentioned him to be a thousand percent honest. And then I kind of checked him out and I was like, Oh wow, this dude's the best. This two and four is just <laughs> destroy the world with this <laughs> snare drum, man. But it's like John you, Bonham style, right? Oh, it's amazing. Um, oh, hold up. I almost pressed the button. Um, <laughs> now, these two are both in Walter Trout's band, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, the next record is is the record going to be in the style of Walter Trout, or is that just like uh, pure coincidence? Like, you're not going to go in that style of blues playing. No, I don't even know if it's a blues thing. It's like, um, I would say like, I was just listening to that track today and I was like, you've got like sort of a Aretha Franklin vocalist. I really featured the female vocals in my songs. Um, and the guitar is pretty aggressive, like a like Hendrix when he was doing his aggressive thing. Not distorted, just clean, but really aggressive. Michael's drums are pretty basic. Like he, he plays conservative, all, all, I think. Johnny's got like a little, I mean, he brought the funk thing with him, like a, a Bootsy vibe. Um, so the songs are probably more kind of a squish between what I say, and this is a weird squish, but like David Gilmore and Jimi Hendrix meets Aretha Franklin with James Brown stuck in the middle. It's kind of, it's, there's no blues player in that, in that conversation, but the root of like the, the t guitar tones, if you will, probably are reminiscent of a blues thing. And, and I play blues scales. I don't really 
you know, I'm not a real theory guy. I'm not using like Phrygian or something. Um, so it's blues based, but they're not one, four, five patterns. Um, these are like regular song structures. And um, I, I guess, in fact, to be honest, the blues purists would probably not even call it blues. They'd probably call me a poser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's nothing like Walter Trout. Even though Walter's like skates around the blues thing too, um, but it's you know it's pretty far removed from a from a one four five style blues, which is really hard to do well uh, if you're good, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and also don't knock it if you if you can say what you need to say with the the the, the blues scale. Who cares? Yeah, I um, I really got into so the whole record thing. Mm-hmm. The whole, you know, I have my record stack right here, but like I went out and bought a bunch of Sun House and I bought a bunch of like Hopkins. And I started getting into like traditional blues and I bought a resonator. Oh, very cool. And I started writing on it and I have a half an hour, I have a half an hour more of the material on a resonator. So I'm actually thinking about taking this record, Mark, the one you played on, and doing one side of it like just my rock, blues, funk, whatever the. Th- thing is mm-hmm. and doing the other side just my resonator stuff and it's just it's very melodic i don't know if you're not a famous song but there's a song by eric johnson called song for george and steve's boogie where he plays a lot of like hand picking it's a lot like that you know it's nice. sort of very different but you know what i don't you don't have that standard i can just do whatever i want because we're independent it's like i can throw out hot sausage if no one wants it no one wants it. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out some hot sausage but it's going to be um, a little bit of, of both sides of, of that personality, but that blues thing, you know, comes through, you know, but it's not, it's definitely not our uh, thing. Like in the old days, I used to do those one, four, five nights where you play from seven till two thirty in the morning. Like you guys, you know, know how to do. And I used to do blues straight through like one, four, five Ooh. guitar guy. People liked it, yeah. you know, I got burned out, but. Yeah, so it'll be different. Nice. I think it's really cool. I think it's great that you're changing your style. You know, with time, I think it's very interesting, especially with this these caliber of musicians. You know, it'll be very interesting to see kind of what you come up with, including the resonator tunes. Yeah, yeah, um, those are pretty easy to do because it's just me and a in a in a click track. And I'm thinking of that. You know, I'll probably send them the demos and have Michael do like the real, you know, real hand drums. You know. So it's sounds organic, you know, but um, yeah, I can pretty much put it on a click and just ship them off, you know. Yeah, that's you know that's the the great thing about the 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 uh, the pandemic is um you you have the capabilities to do that now. Everyone yeah. can work with whoever the hell they want it to at this point. It's insane, man. There's whole albums getting done as we sit here, like yours too. Yeah, and people aren't even remotely in the same area right it does so here's something though mark you remember when we played and uh some i forgot who it was maybe johnny said it he goes man it's really cool to play with like the b3 in the room like (laughs) you know like they weren't used to that you know and these are like session musicians you know it's like wow yeah, key, keys are always added last. To, by you know, keyboard players always record by themselves last. You know, oh come in, man, just lay some organ down. You know, that's because you're cool. Like you're cool, like the singer, man. You gotta go and laugh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right, bro. Yeah, I'm the icing on the cake. You know, no doubt. <laughs> Bring them in. That's right. With handbone, I guess I got, I have a luxury where we have to record everything together because it's just organ, drums, and guitar. So it's a luxury we're very happy to have, to be honest. Yeah, man. It's raw and it sounds better that way, to be honest, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. 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 We have had to get a little creative, though, with like the pandemic and doing like like scratch tracks and sending, you know, files around. And, you know, because we can't all, now we can't record together. I mean, not easily anyway. <laughs> I mean, we could, yeah. but it'd be frowned upon. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> that would be a whole thing. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you mentioned Johnny. Um, I want to see if you can tell the story on this podcast, if it's possible. Um, you know, Johnny's a fairly sty- stylish guy, and he's got some swag. Can you tell us the story about how you saw his three-ring chain when you were both in the studio? Yeah. So, yeah, Mark, Mark was standing there, too. So we were, we were uh, 
This is actually the one that he made for Slash. This is this that snakes on it. Oh, you, yeah, you can't really. You can go to our YouTube and look at the. Uh... It's actually up here too. Yeah, it's on our website on chainbrands.com. You can see the actual nice tight shot of it. But anyway, he walks in a studio and he's wearing this thing. You can hear it when you walk. It's like it's got like a personality. It's very got some way out. I, I can't even wear it cool. Like he puts this thing on, he walks around with it on, and I'm like, it's like an aura. Um, and I looked at it and I said, that's really interesting. Have you? Uh, where did you buy it? You know? And he's like, no, I make them. And I was like, you make those? That's so. Not only are you like a good player, you've got this design talent that is very interesting. You know, it's like, let's talk about it. So he kind of said something to the effect of, you know, I've given it to my friends, but I've never sold it. And I, a couple guys on tour, I've given it to. Like, I think um, some of the guys. I don't want to misquote, so I'm not sure who exactly. But I think I have an idea. But if I get it wrong, it's gonna be it's gonna be recorded. So I, don't want, I don't want to say the wrong name. But he gave it to some really really cool guys, some prominent guys, and they they wore it right. Even his buddy uh, Teddy Zigzag and in, in, in Walter Trout's band, Teddy played with Guns uh, for a while. He wear he would wear it. You know, other guys would wear, it. and everyone would go up to him and be like, "Dude, that's so cool. Where can I buy that?" And he'd be like, uh, "You can't because I make them." And they're like, "All right, well, you're on tour. You're not gonna make more." So. My, my sort of statement to it was pretty simple. I was like, you know, if we could get a message and, and some thought behind this, like we could start a company and I'll drive the business side. And, you know, if you could do the creative side with the products. And he's like, yeah, we kind of just left it like that. And then we came back to it a couple of weeks later. But the real story behind the actual chain was, you know, the three rings. You can see it better there. The three rings were around addiction recovery, the concept of, you know, breaking free from something. And these chains are a symbol of uh, community, courage, and compassion, right? So we mm -hmm. came up with this sort of, um, I think it's called, what do they call that? Because of the A. Uh, oof, I can't remember the word in the English language, but. I can't either. I, have, I, I was in a. Uh, alliteration. Oh, okay. CCC, yeah, compassion, community, and courage. So the three C's we call them are the foundation of the concept of the of the chain. Now we also have you know necklace earrings that he makes uh, that that are used around this symbol symbol, and this, we've actually patented it through the U.S. Patent Office. In fact, we just got the letter back last week. It took about a year, and it's patented. Wow. So the cool part about it is it's got a message about you know staying strong through recovery. We built the entire brand around that. And that's kind of how he connected, you know, with me is that my father was an alcoholic and I lost him to the disease. He was, he's in recovery. And it was like this connection that we had, you know, between how we could maybe sell this and then maybe give back. So we're trying to figure out like, how do you give back? You know, like what's the, what do we donate money? Do we get to AA? Like what do we do? And then we started talking about how he was helped by Music Cares. And that really was his foundation for recovery. So then we decided to give a pretty large portion of our, our proceeds to Music Cares uh, every time we sell one. So um, that's kind of his, you know, his product design and then how it came into what became a company really after just a conversation at his studio that Mark, you probably witnessed, you know, standing there. Yeah. I think it's super cool. I really, I really love it. And I love what it stands for being uh, on that journey myself. Um, how long, do you know how long Johnny has been sober? Just out of curiosity. I believe he said, uh, Oh, you know, what's a good question. I wanted to say, something but again if i get this wrong it's gonna sound horrible i would well, say 2017 i think he said it's three years oh that's that's amazing uh john if you're hearing this after the fact that's great that's phenomenal i'm at a year and two months myself um but i will say i think it's a great message and i think that uh the fact you guys donate some of your proceeds to music cares to support that community really shows that what that you you know you're putting your money where your mouth is 
you know, we truly stand behind the community of sobriety. And I think that's really great. I think it's really cool. And also the fact, sorry, go ahead. No, it was just, it was definitely something we had to connect to it because it's like, okay, if you're selling a chain, it's just a chain, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're not putting more thought behind it, it goes back to what I said earlier about this sort of pandemic thing, actually. I think this was happening before the pandemic, but you know, it's like, I'm living my life. I'm earning a living. It's great. I have a roof, food. I'm very thankful. But I just didn't feel like I was able to, what am I giving the world? You know, I got to that point and I asked myself this question several years ago and I couldn't come up with a good answer. You know, I thought my music was interesting, but I don't think, I don't know who cares. You don't know who cares. You just don't know who's out there listening, of course. But I really felt like, wow, with the power of the two of us coming together, we could really impact a lot of people. And with this message, we could help a lot of people. Then it just became like a holy shit moment. It was like, you know, it was this has been cathartic for me with my dad and, and trying to, to help people because I couldn't help him. Uh, and he died, you know, mm -hmm. and Johnny and I and watching him in recovery and helping him, helping our friend, Michael Leisure, right? All these guys have all been through it. Walter Trout, they're all going to come on. We're doing interviews. Actually, Rob, I want to have you on too. Um, I'd love to come on. They're all doing interviews next week. Uh, and we're going to, you know, we're creating community on our website about uh, recovery, uh, diet and nutrition, meditation, wellness, and employment. We're having videos for each and we're going to put them up and hit the social media posts off of those and everyone's going to tell their story right right this is the uh the this is the this is the four quadrant um uh series correct yeah man thanks for doing the homework <laughs> <laughs> no i just want to make sure i got the name right if you want to look it up go on to a uh, unclaimed um uh, not unclaimed unchained brands facebook and uh, you can watch the first uh episode which is um what's that feature again Actually, just go to the website. Um, it's right on there. It's easier to find. Um, the first one was actually, we used the employment one for, uh, I have a friend of mine that works at LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So if you think about this, Rob, actually, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask you a question real quick, but there's a little caveat. If you think about it, one of the things Johnny said was, until he got a job, he didn't feel self-worth, right? He was like, it was like, it's part of your, um, part of your uh, confidence in yourself in recovery uh, was that he got work and somebody believed in him to give him a job. So we said, well, why don't we have this employment quadrant? Because if it's important to your self-esteem, let's add resources to the website that helps somebody either in their career or to get them off the couch to get a job. And uh, I knew a guy at LinkedIn and obviously that's a great platform for everyone to use. And he gave like career advice. So that was the first one. The second one was a recovery story with a, a Philly guy, Harrison Miley, actually. He's uh, a great Oregon B3 guy. He left here in 2000, I think year 2001-ish, moved to LA, and he sobered up in LA. He went through a horrible time. And he got into you know sound editing, and he, he won three Emmys. Actually, I think we said two, but he's actually got three. Uh, so his story of recovery is incredible. I mean, to be honest, I was doing the interview and I was just like, this is why I'm alive. Like, this is beautiful. What this guy is saying is what I want to get out to the world. You know, this is, this is truly being of service to people. You know, it was just a phenomenal delivery of, of a recovery message. Yeah. So that was the second one. My mistake. Uh, I, I really enjoyed his story. Uh, I resonated resonated with it a lot because um, going through sobriety myself, and uh, I don't know if you, actually, before I get to that, are you on a sober journey, James? No, the the Johnny and I call the two sided coin. Uh, mm -hmm. One side of the coin is his story, which is a strict recovery process, and my story is is I lived with an alcoholic until my dad passed away trying to help him since I was a kid. So having family members who are supporting or trying to help somebody who's in recovery or somebody who is seriously in a, you know, in a bad situation. So we, we kind of talk about both sides. I'm the family member affected by, he's the actual person who's gone through it. 
Um, but I am not in recovery. I've, I've not, as far as I know, had issues. Um, well, I, I would know, but I, I haven't had the issue. I, and this goes into a deeper conversation, Rob, which is, um, then we talk about this and I want to get to it at some point, but what's the genetic you know, makeup that separates someone who can have, who has one drink and is like hooked versus the person who's an alcoholic that just, you know, drank a ton and yeah, you eventually you're going to get there, right? You know, and it's going to catch up to you. There's like a whole genetic thing that behind this, um, that I want to explore at some point. Um, but I don't know if my family has a gene or not. And that's something I want to figure out for my, my kids, but I have not been, uh, I have not fallen to that yet. As far as, you know, recovery is concerned. I haven't, haven't had had that issue but gotcha. my god it's like you know to see to hear what johnny went through and how how it was how he responds to alcohol i'm like i've never had that response to it mm-hmm. you know thank god but i admire you guys because it's you know it's a hell of a journey you know it's definitely interesting uh you, the thing i i think i've shared on this podcast before is when you're out on the road touring like we were or I guess how Johnny was when you're more worried about the drink where you're going to get your next beer than your set there's a problem <laughs> you know that's an issue <laughs> um I didn't realize it until way later I would in fact I remember asking Mark what being more worried about our uh like what we were getting compensated by the bar that night than or like food did we get food and bev no food okay cool that's fine that's fine I'll drink my I'll drink all night it's fine and you know, once I realized that, my head went, "Oh shit!" And I really had a deep dive on why do I drink? And I'm sure that Johnny went through something very similar. And it's it's a deep dive. If you if you you know like, uh, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. Like, it's definitely a journey. Is all I can say. But this this isn't about me. Um, crap. I forget what you asked me before. You asked me a question. Well, it, it is about it is about you. So Johnny and I just did we did a little video the other day, and we're gonna post some of it. And we talked about exactly what you just said, which is he was saying as he goes from load in to you know sound check to gig. You know you've got these gaps in time, and those little gaps in time are little excuses to just you know what you got to do mm-hmm. and you're looking forward to those gaps more than you are the other parts of the yeah. you know the experience you know and, and he he discusses that actually we have a pretty good little take of of him explaining that so I bore you with you know the second ver- secondary version of it but you know it's 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 really interesting to hear him tell his story um and i can't wait for us to get that message out and i want to get your message on to our platform as well because i think everything that you're saying is like so relatable to so many people rob and i only can say that the value of our platform with with who we're working with to is to get it out you know it's like we've got these great people surrounding us and supporting us that's going to help us get on a stage that gets the message out you know and it just has to be a you know a little bit of help we do for each other along the way that adds up you know what i mean certainly we're not you know going to fix it quickly it's going to be a process and that's what we look forward to so can't wait to have you on not that you offered yet (laughs) i'd be more than happy to come on but i think it's great that your your brand with johnny has gone to support you know uh addiction recovery or alcoholism and you know all the all the names all the things I think it's really great. Music Cares is a wonderful organization. By the way, people, anybody listening feels like it. Uh, you can donate to Music Cares on their website. They're a wonderful uh, uh, nonprofit company, and they're helping support musicians, you know, through recovery. But also, they're helping musicians through the uh, the uh, coronavirus and everything else that's happening right now in the world. So please, if you can, stop by their website, and also stop by uh, your guys' website, Unchained Brands. Correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah, we got some. Get some assets on there. Hopefully, they're of value to others. And now, got a few you, products on there. Got some cool pictures. I love the the picture of you uh, with Slash 
with the uh, the chain. It's real you, Johnny, and Slash on the uh, the main picture. It looks great. Yeah, I don't have. <laughs> I always say I don't have words for that one. I put it on my phone as soon as we took. You know, we got the pictures back, and I used it. I said, "I'm going to manifest this photo into a company." <laughs> and here we are, right? And every day I look at it and I go, "We got to do one thing to get that closer to get this company off the ground." You know, because like his support for music cares you know that's 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 why these guys support what we're doing um and all the people on the website you know and getting access to people that care about helping others is just part of the whole storyline so we got to get out of the red I, is that the thing the red <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that Seinfeld episode is it the red or is it the black? You know, you got to get out of the red and I start really, you know, amping, amping up some sales so we can donate the money back because without selling anything, you've got nothing to donate. So really want to start to get that, that message out. And then people, I really want to get community on that website, people talking, you know, that's what we're really striving for because that's when somebody hears somebody else's story or hears some idea of like how I should eat better. Should I meditate? What do I need to do to get a new job? These are all those little things we want to really offer out there for people to see, um, especially now because it's like such a screwed up time. With all of us being stuck inside and, uh, you know, alcoholism running rampant since uh, this whole thing has started. Yeah, man. It's been crazy. It's, it's easy. It's easy to fall. It's easy to fall. Absolutely. And no shame if, if anybody does. Um you know what one friend of mine was doing for a while? He was um, running these, uh, combining music and, and this message is he was running like sober groups to go to concerts and they would like all hang out together. And I forget what he called it. It, it was just like they would go to fish or something and they would all be sober, but they all go to the concert together, make sure nobody drank or did drugs and they'd leave together. Yeah, I can't That's remember cool. what it was called. But I... Yeah, and I don't think it's, you know, license or anything. You should totally run with that. You should do something with that. Well, it's it it's interesting too, like Mark, you're in LA now, right? So one of the things I found very interesting about LA was <clears throat> and I was just visiting like a lot, but I was not living here. I noticed that this like when you're exposed to that group who, you know, those who do and those who don't, I'll call it, right? It's not um, it's almost like you, you, you have this and, and Rob, I'm sure you understand and know, but there's this understanding between everybody and there's like this respect and it's not, it's exactly what you said earlier. It's okay if you fall, right? The trick is for us to be able to help each other up, mm -hmm. right? No judgment. And another thing is I, and, hmm, there's three parts to this. And I like to talk about this. There's the guy who says, ah, so-and-so is a drunk. There's the person that says, oh my gosh, let me help you get up. And then there's somebody in the middle, the person whose opinion, they're not sure what to read of somebody who has a problem. And that's the person I really want us to, to really get to as well. That's the family member that could help somebody. That's the family member that says, you know what, let me have a little bit of compassion, empathy to call my cousin who I know struggles a little bit and just talk to him, you know, maybe populate a few ideas in his head. Hey, what about maybe going vegan? Hey, what about trying meditation? I don't know, you know, whatever, maybe just something small, right? It's that person in the middle that's sort of like, maybe when they're in high school, made fun of the drunk guy in the street. <laughs> and then there's, like I said, there's that person who's completely empathetic. But that, that person in the middle is the person you got to get to. That's the person we, that could really help. And that's where I come in with this, my, my story of my dad. It's, you know, I want us to really realize that in your family, there are people who need a, just a small couple words or a conversation, right? Don't ignore it. Just everyone's ready when they're ready, right? Right, right. And you can't change their mind. You're not going to change their mind. I can't tell you how many times I tried to change my dad's mind, didn't work, right? But you have to have that, my point is, I guess, you have to have that open empathy 
a compassionate moment and, and just be open to how, how to help as opposed to how to just, you know, uh, move on or, or say something derogatory, of course, it's awful. But. So, you know, I commend, you know, every day. Another thing is it's, it's not like a process of like, oh, how many days, how many months, how many weeks? It's actually every minute, is it not? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I agree with that. It's, and I want to celebrate the minutes, not the years. Of course, years are wonderful. Well, let's celebrate the minutes. I mean, it's, it's, I saw my dad, I swear to God, Melania, he walked out of the house, sober for a year and a half. And I used to, I was like his mother. I'd watch him go out, where are you going? What are you doing? Oh, okay. Year and a half. Year and a half. He's great. Comes back with the glassy eyes. He was gone at 4.30 in the afternoon. Came back 5.25. A year and a half was gone like that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Gone. You know? So it's every minute counts. Every minute counts. So, you, you know, you should be commended for every minute, man. Uh, uh, ton of respect for you. Absolutely. I commend you for what you do, you know. It's trying to support your family through these times and through those issues. I think there need to be more people like that in society today right now, to be honest. Instead of just gossiping about it, go help your friend who needs a chat, a hard chat, or something like that. You know, be honest. I think there needs to be more people like that. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. Is it is it a conversation? Like, what is it that triggers, you know, for you? Like, what was it that triggered you i gotta change it's not somebody saying hey man you should change it was your own i think i've told this story on this podcast right mark have i told this story? i think i think yeah a while ago you did yeah i think so um we were doing a podcast it was a top 10 of something we were doing a top 10 of, of a decade we were talking about our favorite records of some decade i can't remember which one it was I think it was Money one of the says, first ones we did. It was one of the first. I think it was top the s- yeah. I think it was the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I had had a really long day, and I was feeling pretty neurotic. And I said, you know what? No, I'm not going to drink. And then I went and even though I said I wasn't going to drink, I went and got a pretty high ABV four pack from down, from right down the street from uh, Mark Studio in Jersey at the time. And within forty minutes of getting to the studio and starting the podcast, the beer was gone. And I didn't know it until I went to go grab another, and I was like, oh, am I out? And then it, it was 40, 50 minutes I drank for pretty high ABV beers. I think there were like seven or eight, and it was that was the sign. That was the uh, the big issue. And so the next day, as I was freaking out about that, and, and I also, you know, I drove home. You know, that's hard to admit. But the next day, I went right to an, uh, an AA meeting, nervous as hell, and... Uh, it was very welcoming, and it uh, helped me change my mind about some things over a, lo- a long period of time. But, um, yeah, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Yeah, yeah. It's like that, <clears throat> you know, it, actually Harrison speaks about, I asked him that question in the interview, too. Like, what was the moment that sort of, you know, crystallized? For Johnny, he had one. Um, like I said about my dad, like, I don't know what it was. He just... Went out at four thirty and came back five twenty five and you know mm-hmm. and then you know on the other end of it you know when did he decide to change is when he said he felt horrible like he just felt horrible you know it's like I'm tired of feeling horrible was his thing you know but it's interesting to hear because <clears throat> I think that's a thing everyone needs to share you know that message and and the company's going to be it's it's been fun to be honest mixing music and and help helping others and being around the team that we've been around. I mean, can't complain about the fact that we were able to build this in about a year, a year and a half, if you really are technically speaking. But um, I hope, hope we reach a million people and help help them, you know, help a little bit along the way, help the families along the way. And, and I guess I'll release an album one day, guys. I don't know. <laughs> well, now you got the business and you got the, the record release hopefully soon. Do you have a date in mind that you're going to release this new record? Or, or, or like we said, we're not sure what. I was going to drop it in late spring regardless and just, you know, see what, just give it out to the world and see what happens. And, you know, I got to talk to my, my uh, business development strategist, I guess, about a release, which I don't have one, but. <laughs> but you'll find one. 
What's your strategy? Ah, shit, strategy. I made the music, that's enough, right? I don't have to do anything else. podcast usually with a series of questions called uh, uh, 10 questions so here they are so first question is this what was the first instrument you ever learned uh casio keyboard yes number two what (laughs) what was your first album you ever owned uh actually i had a i got a paper route to buy van halen 1984 oh it's a good one hell yeah nice Number three, your first live concert you went to see. Oh, this is a piss poor answer. White Snake and Kicks, Nassau Coliseum. <laughs> yes. Cold blood is all you'll bleed. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. What's the last concert you saw? Actually, I saw Eric Johnson, and I, um, I'm endorsed by Shania Pedals. The owner of Shania hooked me up with Eric Johnson after, before his show, and we became kind of gear gear traders. Greatest night of my life, probably, because I grew up worshiping Eric Johnson. He's the man. Oh, my God, dude. It's I can't even say how nice that man is. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met. I have a... I got to show you this. Literally, I got to show you this. Oh, I can't show you this. So many things. I have about six loaded pick guards he gave me. No, and he was like, "Ah, just keep them." And I was just trading like pedals with him and stuff, you know, because he likes a certain type of pedal. So that was the last show I saw. But I can't. I could talk for an hour about that. I love. It was such a good night. Anyway, sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> Number five, favorite guitar to play that you own. I have a custom Fender Master Build. She just turned one. Ah, oh, beautiful. Ooh. It's Jason Smith. Was that sanded down in the corner, or is that like another color that they just added into the the body? They painted sparkle first, and then they put the black over it, and then... Oh, okay, okay. I don't know much about strats, but it looks gorgeous. I love it. What's your favorite venue to play as an artist? The best sounding room ever was... I hit a note at the TLA, and I was like, okay, is Hendrix in the room? I mean, it was like... It wasn't me. It was this. The room just was just incredible. So the TLA to me was the best sound ever. Hey, what's your uh, your favorite artist to share that you shared a build with, a bill with? Your favorite artist you shared a bill with? Favorite artist? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, Hambone Relay. Ah, stop it! No, who is it for real? <laughs> Whoop! Before I break something on my desk, who is it for real? I don't know. King's X was an incredible band. I'll stick with them. That's a good choice. All right. Number eight. Your favorite live album. Live album? Probably like Kiss Alive 1. Oh, that's a good one. And they have all the hits. Yeah. Um, Okay. Who's This one's hard. (laughs) I'm going to take it out eventually, but for right now it stays in. Who is your favorite artist right now? Doyle Bram Hall II. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, he, the one Doyle, I can't even tell you. I am like smitten with this guy for years now. It, it like the last three years, I don't think I've stopped listening to him. Right, and he's he plays backup behind tons of guitar players, and he's amazing. Like his like, voice is so unique, man. Yeah, it's like, oh, dude, where'd you get that shit? You know, <laughs> I feel that way about Chris Staple. We all have our thing, oh, man. We all have our guy. Um, and the last question is favorite album right now. Um. Trying to think what I have. I've been really bad with the, with the albums lately. I've sort of, I, you know what? I have a live. I paid three hundred twenty-five dollars for a live Pink Floyd bootleg. That's the sound quality is like um, board perfect. It's like it's pristine. Three hundred dollars for a record. I saved up for months, but it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't disappoint. So that's my favorite record. It's from the Wall era. 
and it's just you know Gilmore's you know his tone is brilliant on this thing I would say that and I've been listening to uh just a lot of Gilmore solo stuff but I always listen to that anyway but I think it's that Pink Floyd one Pink well, Floyd The Wall Live well after this I forgot what it's called it's, I don't even know if it has a name but well after this make sure to put that on put the lights out and just zen out uh, tell everybody your social medias and uh where they can find you okay so for my band it's james pace band you gotta you gotta put the band at the end because there's another guy james pace so it's james pace band that's my yeah, he's an organ player too right he's an organ player yeah yeah this guy he's good yeah he is yeah. and um so it's james pace band it's everywhere you can just google it whatever you want um then we have the company that i have with johnny Gaparic for the chains that's unchainedbrands.com and that's on all the social channels too but we really would hope people go to the website i really want people to start chatting it up on our website we have a really good comment section in the videos so that would be awesome other than that dude i'm i'm just a handball relay fan that's it's basically my job right now I'll stop it you're very when's kind. that music coming out come on who knows <laughs> James, thank you so much for hopping on, dude. You're the man. Oh, yeah. Honor. Thank you, guys. Thank you, dude. We'll see you guys next time. Peace. Peace.